fourth chair is the one we hit today, and that is uh, represented by the call of Jesus to bear fruit and the, uh, the call of Jesus to make disciples. And so this one is titled, Become a Disciple Maker. Become a Disciple Maker. In this growth campaign, my job, as I've said, is to urge you, help you, push you a little bit to grow to set up that opportunity, and that's why we focused on discipleship. But I'm going to tell you a secret. The goal that we have as a church is really not that you would just be a disciple. That's not a real goal. The secret is that we want you to become a disciple maker. We want to see you grow to the point where you're reproducing yourself and you're helping to lead other people to follow Jesus as well. This is the goal of Jesus. Now, it would be a lot easier if I just said, hey, just come and be a disciple. Come and sit here on Sundays and maybe be in a life group and be involved in the church and, and, and just learn and, and be a part of it. That would be easier. Uh, Dale Moody said it's better to train 10 people to do, uh, it's better to train 10 people than to do the work of 10 people, but it's harder. <laughs> it's better to train 10 people to do that work, but it's easier to do it yourself. And, and that's the truth. And so a lot of churches kind of settle for come and listen, come and learn, right? Maybe be a part of a ministry somewhere at some point. But they, they kind of stop there because it's hard. It's difficult because it requires commitment. The growth process, moving from chair to chair, uh, really comes down to a level of commitment. That's really, if you whittle it all the way, that's what it takes to take those moves. And we've been saying during this campaign to identify as we go through this, which chair are you in? And then which chair do you need to move towards? Because the truth is that Jesus is always calling us out on mission. He's calling us to follow him. And the, this call to growth and to move in our relationship with him. We can settle into uh, and accept a level of maturity um, and, and stay in that level of maturity for a long time. That's easy to do. And, and we kind of get comfortable, right? And we go, hey, I kind of like it here. Uh, it's, it's, it feels good. I like my chair. You know, I like, I like uh, uh, this, uh, what it means to be uh, in this chair. But the truth is that um, none of these are lazy boys, Okay. They're not a place for you to sit and just relax and, and stay there and fall asleep. That's not what they are. They're, they're chairs that represent some type of movement and activity, and there's a growth process. So commitment is really what it comes down to, and that's why it's hard, because asking for commitment is difficult. It's one of those kind of cuss words a little bit in our world, and, and asking for that and pushing for that uh, becomes a stretch. It's, it's a little bit of pressure that is put on. But the truth is, that's what's required. When Jesus, you'll remember maybe the story of Peter, who's one of the apostles, when he was uh, with Jesus near the end, when Jesus was going to go to the cross, and Peter said, Jesus was talking about, he said, listen, I'm going to go and suffer at the hands of the uh, leaders in Jerusalem. They're going to crucify me. Peter said, no. And he said, I will, I will, you know, I'm going to stick with you to the end. I'm going to, I'm going to stand with you to the end. I'm going to be there, right? We're going to fight this together. And, uh, and, and Jesus said, Peter, you're actually going to deny me when, when the pressure comes on. And sure enough, that's what Peter did. And so there's a story about Jesus reinstating Peter after the resurrection. And Peter, uh, Peter and, and some of the other disciples were out. They decided to go fishing. They were out on the lake. They were out there all night. 
and they didn't catch anything. And all of a sudden they looked to the shore and John, uh, the Apostle John, identified Jesus. He said, it's, it's Jesus, it's the teacher. He told Peter this. So Peter put his clothes on because he'd taken off his clothes. He was working and sweating. He put on his cloak, jumped in the water. They were about 100 yards from shore. He ran to see Jesus and they ate breakfast with him. And Jesus went through this process and he, he asked Peter three different times the same question. Peter, do you love me? And Peter answered each time, yes, Jesus, I love you. And that's an interesting study. There's some wordplay in there with the original language and what the words for love are. We won't do that today. But Peter, uh, G- Peter kept saying, yeah, Lord, I love you. And, and after those, uh, that um, admission of Peter that, yes, Jesus, I love you, Jesus said the same thing three times in different forms. He said, feed my sheep, take, take care of my sheep, um, right? And so here, here's what I know. This chair four is a call. Uh, it's a different level of involvement. It's a call to get involved at a different level. And, and what it requires is in order to move to that, that chair, in order to engage this work, requires that we have a commitment, a love for Jesus, that we're motivated out of that. And so Peter was asked by Jesus to increase his level of commitment. Do you love me? Then do this. I'm asking something of you, Peter. I'm going to hand you this ministry that I've been doing. I'm going to entrust you with the people that I've been uh, caring for. These are my sheep. I love them, right? I've, I've died for them. And so I'm going to ask you to get involved in that. And, and so Peter had to step up and he was intimidated. He'd failed. He wasn't confident as he was. He was probably a little cocky, right? And so he had been humbled a little bit and recognized his, um, his ability to fail. And so his dependence on God to give him the strength to do it. But this was the call. Through this campaign, we've said this phrase that high commitment equals high growth. High commitment equals high growth. You will grow at the level to which you commit. The more you commit, the more you're going to grow. I've watched people in a very short period of time, relatively short period of time, move through these chairs and just boom, 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 and they're involved in ministry, they're taking ownership, and they're doing it. And I've watched that happen. I've seen other people uh, not move through the chairs over 20, 30, 40 years, right? And so that's just the reality of it. And so I want to speak to you, speak to your heart a little bit tonight about the goal, the vision that God has for you. As we've gone through this campaign, we've looked in our life groups, we've been studying the uh, Beatitudes, right? Jesus' sermon on the mount. And these are their behaviors that bring about blessing. And the reason we've done this is because these attitudes are a process of discipleship. And if we don't have these attitudes or behaviors correct that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, then we're not going to move through these chairs. It's, we're going to get blocked. We're going to stop. And so I've, I've, um, we've gone through these in our life groups to encourage that we're dealing with and we're growing in processing the things that need to be right in our hearts so that we can grow. You know, those Beatitudes include that knowing that you're spiritually poor, knowing that you need God, knowing you need God's forgiveness. And so they're important. They're essential. Uh, a time of accelerated growth for me was when I got to college, and I made a decision as a young adult that I was going to follow Jesus 100%. I'd grown up at a Christian home, and I'd followed Jesus a little bit on and off uh, through my years of growing up. But when I got to college, I made a commitment, and it was a time of accelerated growth. And, uh, and I walked through those beatitudes and those heart attitudes, and I responded in obedience to them. And I did some things that were really important for my development and growth, and that's what I'm hoping for you. This week, 
One of the, the key commitments I'm asking you again is to focus on these attitudes. The one for this week is you need to do right no matter the cost. Matthew 5.10, Jesus said this, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So here's the challenge this week. Are you, are you first of all, do you have a commitment to doing right? And then are you willing to do right no matter what the cost is? Under the pressure situation, do you still do the right thing? Or do you lean towards doing what it takes to get along, what you know other people are going to want you to do and say? Or are you uh, honed in on and focused in on what's right, what God has to say, what God wants you to do, and that's your commitment. Look, I'm doing this no matter what. And certainly, as I was in college, I moved from a little bit of mediocre faith in high school and junior high, uh, sometimes trying to fit in, sometimes going along, sometimes bending my faith and my commitment, my character, to getting to college and going, look, I'm doing this no matter what. It's who I am. I'm walking this way, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to stand for what's right, and it's going to cost me, but I don't care because I'm committed to Jesus. This week, we conclude this growth campaign, as I've said, and we're going to focus in on this fourth chair in our discipleship vision for Mitchell Brian. The final chair is the call of Jesus to become a disciple maker, to the call to reproduce yourself, to join in the work of God at a far more significant level. Jesus' final call, which is represented by the fourth chair, is a significant move in ownership. Before he leaves, before he leaves his disciples, he calls them to move from a worker to a partner. To move from a worker to a partner. John 15, if you want to follow along on the screen, or if you want to turn your Bible, John 15, we're going to read a few verses here. We're going to look at a couple different verses and different passages uh, today, but John 15 is where we're going to start, starting in verse 9. This is what Jesus said. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Key verse here, verse 15. Jesus says this, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. And this is my command, love each other. When you hear Jesus saying, I no longer call you slaves, think workers, right? Workers are, uh, and slaves in this day, these are the people who got the work done. The boss tells you what to do, you get it done. And there's a, there's a season where that's what we do. That's what chair three looks like a lot. I just get involved in work and tell me what to do, I'm going to do it. And Jesus certainly worked with them through that season. But he goes, now guys, you've transitioned into a different spot. I now call you friends, think partners. <laughs> you know what I know. You know God's plans, you're on the inside of what we're doing here. I've shared with you everything. So you're going to have a level of ownership in this, this work that I've been doing, this calling that I have, this ministry that I've developed. You're going to have ownership in it because now I've brought you on the inside. 
And you know the difference between being a worker and being a, a partner, right? That you get some shares and profit sharing. and You get ownership in what's going on. And that's literally what Jesus is saying. You guys are going to own this. You're going to reap the benefits of it. You're going to experience the challenges. You're going to get persecuted. You're going to, exact same things happen to me are going to happen to you. But you get to be a part of God's work. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. To understand the vision God has for you, you must understand how he views you in relation to his mission and work here on earth. God's plan for you is that you would move from just following to following and serving. And then from just following and serving or working to partnering with him. To partner with God in his work is to discover your true and complete identity. To partner with God in his work is to discover your true purpose. To partner with God is to find your true fulfillment in this life. To partner with God is to fulfill your destiny. God will reveal to you the true marrow of life only as you partner with him in his work. God will always exceed your expectations and use you beyond what you yourself could do on your own. On December 22nd, 1899, the evangelist Dwight Moody was lying in his, in his uh, deathbed. He was passing away. He was moving from this life to the next. His first job had been as a shoe clerk in Boston, gathering 18 ragged boys off the street to organize a Sunday school class. In two years, the class had grown to 1,500. In his lifetime, Moody was to take two continents in his hands and shake them for God. As he died, he left this epitaph written on the flyleaf of his Bible. If God be your partner, make your plans large. In order to transition from workers to partners, we need to have, we need to have gone through the training process. Constant training without gaining God's vision will keep us from transitioning into partnership. See, partners don't need training they need vision. Luke 6.40 says this, Students are not greater than their teacher, but the, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. We're not better than Jesus. We're not going to uh, pass him up. But when we're trained, we're going to look like him. Looking like Jesus, when I talk about uh, you growing to become like Jesus, you got to understand that doesn't just mean in your moral character. It doesn't just mean that you treat others with kindness and love. It doesn't just mean that the fruit of the Spirit are exhibited in your life, though they are. What it means is you're living your life doing what Jesus did, engaged in the work that Jesus was doing. Ultimately, that's what it means, that you are in line with pursuing, building the same thing, working for the same vision that Jesus was working for. One of the most famous passages where we find this vision and direction that God gives us is found in Matthew 28. It's called the Great Commission, right? This is what it says. Verse, uh, Matthew 8, 28, verse 18 through 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And, um, and, be, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
God's vision for us is laid out in this famous passage. This really contains the whole of God's vision for uh, his work and for us. He told his disciples, guys, this is what I want you to do. This is what you're going to be pursuing here. It has five different components as I see it. First of all, we are commissioned with all authority. Listen closely to this. This commission or partnership is made with us using all the authority in heaven and earth. The power behind this mission is absolute. There is no power that is not behind this mission. No power exists that isn't behind this mission. All authority on heaven and earth. When you become a partner with God in this mission, you are, you are going to be backed by all the power and authority that exists. So you got to understand something. Jesus came on mission. He accomplished the mission. It was to train some disciples who would be able to transmit and pass on and reproduce, right? This was his work. He spent three years doing it. Yes, he went around the country, healed people, he preached, he taught, he interacted, but his mission was, his plan was to train these, uh, this group of, of people who could go out and spread this and, and transmit it to others and reproduce. So he made them into disciples. He helped uh, them to transform saw character transformation, saw life change, saw their behaviors change, and then he started training them. Hey, here's what I want you to do. Go do this. And they, they learned that, and then ultimately handed it off to him. And so, of course, he came to ultimately die on the cross for the sin of the world, to pay for the sin of the world so that we could find hope and forgiveness in him. All authority is behind you when you join and partner with God. We must go is the second um, aspect or component of this. We must go, or it's also translated, as you are going. As you are going. Look, uh, this mission requires taking initiative. It requires engaging others. There's an assertiveness to it that is risky and involves confrontation a little bit. It does not necessarily mean pulling up roots and moving to a far-off land. For most people, it means to engage the mission of God by uh, going in the natural way you go each and every day. You get up and go in some way. It's part of your life, right? You get up and move. You get up and, and travel. You're engaging. You're, you're bumping into people. You're interacting with them. You do your work. Take care of your house. You work, right? You live in a neighborhood. You play, and you have these interactions with people. And it's the natural going process. And this is how we're supposed to Take initiative, move out, interact with people. This is what, it's part of it. Uh, the third component is we're called to make disciples. And again, disciples are followers, just like you. You're invested and connected to people who are not following Jesus yet. You have those connections and relationships, and you're planting seeds in people's lives. You're having conversations. You're talking about your life, your, your relationship with God. You're interacting with people at a spiritual level, and you're planting seeds, and these, uh, these, these seeds are essentially invitations to come and see, check out what Jesus is about, and you have a conversation, and some of those conversations, somebody says, hey, listen, God bless you. It's not for me, man. I, I, I can see you believe it. I'm glad you found something there. It's not for me, and you say, hey, fine. God bless you. Um, uh, you know, no problem. Another person might say, man, I got, uh, you know, they might want to argue with you a little debate, you know. 
well, I don't believe that stuff. How can you believe that? Really? You believe a guy got eaten by a fish? You know, really? You believe that, uh, you know, there was this flood? Really? You believe that the, a sea parted and people walked through? That's ridiculous. And they want to argue with you about it, right? And you get into it. Great. You know, it's another level of engagement, different kind. But you're planting seeds. You're seeing about where's this going to go? What's happening? What's, what's God doing? And then some of those conversations, some of those seeds you plant are going to result in somebody saying, hey, you know, I see something different in your life. I, what, what's going on? Tell me about it. Yeah, I'll go to church with you. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to check that out. And ultimately, some of those seeds are going to result in people transitioning from come and see to come and follow. And you're going to help them. <laughs> you're going to help them pray that prayer, make that transition, and trust in Jesus as Savior. Then Jesus says you're to baptize these new disciples. Romans 6 gives a great uh, instruction on baptism, what it's about the picture that baptism represents. He says uh, we're buried with Christ in baptism. We go under the water, uh, and then we're pulled out of the water. We're raised to new life. And he goes, this represents a transformation that happens in us. Baptism really follows in line with the ceremonial washing from the Mosaic law. Moses uh, gave the law to the people, went up on the mountain, got the Ten Commandments. He, re- he uh, laid it out for the people. Um, in extensive detail, so the nation of Israel would know how to follow God, live for him. That law included ceremonial cleansing. When they would go to the temple, right, or the tabernacle to worship, they had to wash. They had to clean up in order to go worship because their sin was on them. And, and there really was no payment for sin, so they had to try to cover it over. They did things to, uh, to represent that cleansing. Baptism is altogether different. Because baptism is an outward reflection of a cleansing that's already happened on the inside. And so when I put my trust in Christ, and we have, uh, we've got um, some baptisms tomorrow today, or a baptism tomorrow, not for this service, but we're, we're doing that this weekend. It's a, it's a picture of this. It's like, hey, I'm, get, I'm going under the water. I'm getting cleansed and washed. But that cleansing and that ceremony that I go through is not to clean me. It's to show that I've already been cleansed. And so it's different than the Old Testament and the, than the, than the cleansing that took place under the Old Covenant. Now I put my trust in Jesus and Jesus' blood cleanses me from all my sin, washes it away, makes me whiter than snow. It's as though I never sinned. It's gone. Sin is gone as far as the east is from the west. It's removed. And I'm washed white and I'm really cleansed by the work of Jesus. And so baptism says, hey, this is what's happened on the inside. I want to show you that. I want to testify to that. And so we're commanded to baptize new disciples. If you're a disciple, you've trusted Christ, you need to get baptized. It's a command of Jesus. When native converts in the island of Madagascar used to present themselves for baptism, it was often, they were often asked of them, you know, how did this happen? What first led you to think of becoming a Christian? The answer usually was that they saw the changed conduct in the lives of others who had already become Christians. And so they would say something like, I knew this man over here used to be a thief. And I knew that man was a drunkard. And this man over here used to beat his wife at home and his kids. And he was a violent man. And yet they, after, after going through this uh, becoming a Christian, all of a sudden the, the thief becomes an honest man. And the drunkard is sober. And respectable, and the guy that used to beat his family stops, and he's, he's gentle at home. And they would say, there's something real in this when that kind of change happens. Like, it's real. 
And this is the process of becoming a disciple. See, the last piece in this is Jesus says, teach them to obey all my commands. So we teach a disciple when, you, when you're uh, reproducing yourself and you're, you're leading someone to Christ and you're training them as a disciple, you're teaching them to obey Jesus' commands. This is the training process. It involves life change. It involves leaving sin patterns and, uh, and disciplining ourselves in righteousness and a change of life. It moves from selfish motivations, right, to selfless motivations, serving others, viewing others as God views them. A deepening love for God and others is part of this process. This leads to joining Jesus in his work and ultimately becoming a partner with him. This great commission is, in fact, the power of God at work in the world around us, and it is It has, it is, and it will change everything. It is a powerful process that works a little bit like compound interest. It's like the reproductive cycles that we see in nature and the world's biological population explosions that take place. We can see that Jesus, what he started here, is a natural reproductive process that grows and builds on its own if it's followed. As people become disciples and they grow and they answer the, fo- the call of Jesus to, to mature and grow pretty soon, they're a partner with Jesus and they're making disciples and this reproductive process is just powerful. It's amazing. It reflects things we see in nature. One unspayed female dog and her descendants can produce 4,372 puppies in just seven generations. One unspayed cat and her offspring can produce 80 million kittens in 10 years. When I talk about rabbits or the gophers I have in my alfalfa field, they're very good at reproducing too. This works, right? It's how nature works. God's created things to reproduce. And you've got to understand that, that the, the model, this, this plan of Jesus of reproduction is the same thing. It works the same way. And so the same fundamental concept that we see in the natural world of multiplication applies directly to the Great Commission. Once you grasp God's vision and your identity, or once you grasp God's vision, your identity changes. You're no longer just a worker helping make things happen, but you are involved in building up the work of God. See, partners are building the ministry. Luke 10 verse 2 says this, These were his instructions to them, referring to Jesus' instructions to disciples. He said, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Jesus shared that the call to become partners with God in his work is urgent. There is a process going on that we don't know anything about, that we didn't do anything to create, but it's the work of God. He's already at work in the world around us. And there's a harvest just waiting to bring in. And yet partners are needed. There needs to be people that join the work and say, I want to help bring in this harvest. And, And so that's the call. There's an urgency to it. Jesus says, look, there's a great need. The world around us, in spite of the fact that we're here, Church in America, Right? And, and we've been reaching people and we're working hard at it. We're st- we still haven't accomplished it. It's a moving scale. And there's, there's just the, the next generation if we don't reach them, right? Well, then uh, it, can, it can quickly die off. 
And we see that happen. And so there's an urgency that we get involved each and every generation, each and every uh, season, and that we don't stop, that we continue to pursue it. The work is not done. It's not accomplished ever, right? But, but we're working to build it. We're, we're, we're becoming a part of a, a deeper process, not just working inside of it, but, but orchestrating it and building it and investing in it. So Jesus shares this urgency. The need is great because the harvest is great, meaning there's a lot of people that are out there that will respond to this message. They're, God's working on them. He's pulling them in. And all, all that's required is we, we reach out, we have a conversation, we plant a seed. And those conversations, those seeds will grow. On we don't have to try to make them grow. It's not on you to get it all the work. It's not on us in a church to make this happen. But we've got to do our part. There's an investment in it. There's work that must be done in order to see the harvest happen. Building a ministry uh, takes time. It, we must be engaged and invested over a period of time. Though the harvest is ready, there's still a process. We live in an agrarian culture, right? We know how this works. We've got to prepare the soil, and we've got to plant the seed, and we've got to put some fertilizer on, and we've got to make sure the weeds don't choke it out, and then we've got to water it and watch and wait. The mysterious part is that the seeds grow, and they turn into this plant that we have no, we have no ability to control, but it happens because God's designed it that way. The same thing is true in the work of God. He has created the world in a certain way. He's made us. And Jesus and the work of Jesus, what he's done connects to the heart of us because it's what we need. And so we, people do respond. Not everyone. It's a bit of a mystery, the people that do. But our job is to be a part of this work of, of cultivating, being spiritual farmers. Sometimes, though, we lack the persistence and patience that's required. The Puritan John, uh, John Brown wrote this. Many Christians are like children. They would sow and reap the same day. It's easy to become tired of sowing and to be anxious for the harvest. There are seasons where it doesn't seem like we're seeing a lot of harvest. Now, when Jesus says the harvest is ready, again, that doesn't mean that we don't have to go through the process of reaping it. As a church and as individuals, we've got to be working the process. That's what will lead to the harvest. The only way we do not see a harvest in our lives where we don't get to see people come to Jesus and we don't get to see that happen and be a part of it uh, from our own cultivation and relationships is if we're just simply not doing it. We're not planting seeds. We're not working at it. That's the only way we won't see anything happen. I've heard of missionaries work for 10 years. Missionary that led my mom to the Lord as a little girl worked for 10 years. I think that's how it went before he saw uh, her come to the Lord as his first real uh, convert to Christianity. So it can take a while. But uh, the, the, the point is, we get to that point if we know what the work is, and we have a commitment to it and a passion for it, and we just continue to work at it. I spent a little time in, in sales. A lot of people don't like, like salesmen, but some salesmen, and here's the bad ones. They're focused on getting the sale, getting your money, right? Getting a win for themselves. Those are the bad ones. Those are the ones that irritate you, that I kick out the door. I don't want to answer. I don't want to talk to them. But the good ones are the ones who work at the job of helping people, of finding out what the needs are. And do you have a need that matches what I have to offer? And my job is to serve and to help. And those are the ones that we like to work with because they're really trying to help us. And the, the, the result is the sale in the end, and it benefits them and all that. But the, but the real goal is, and the process is, it's not just that. And sometimes we want to see this harvest. We want to see somebody come to know Jesus. 
But we've got to remember, we're not going to see that if we don't understand that planting the seed and cultivating and working and caring about people and serving them and loving on them is the process of seeing it work. If we have the right perspective, if we have the right approach, then we're going to see those results. Remember that when you become a partner with God in this work, you're joining something that has been established the right way. The tallest building in the world, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, rises more than 2,700 feet above the earth. It's over a half mile tall. 160 floors, has twice, it's twice as tall as the Empire State Building in New York City. It is home to the world's fastest elevator. Travels at 40 miles per hour. Be an exciting ride. This building also hosts the world's highest outdoor observation deck. It's on the 124th floor. And the world's highest swimming pool on the 76th floor. But the secret to the stability of this massive building is found under the ground. Workers began and worked for a year building the foundation. They poured um, some 58,900 cubic yards of concrete that weighed over 110,000 tons. The building is safe because the foundation is solid. The work of God is lasting and stable because it is built on a solid foundation. Jesus Jesus himself is called the cornerstone. Ephesians 2.20, the Apostle Paul, describing the work of God as a structure, says this, Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. When we join the work of God, we become a partner with him. We move into the fourth chair, and we move from just working and working to help and working at the ministry, which is an important step, but we become partners, we take ownership, we begin to profit share in the work of God, we begin to take ownership for its development, its building, we invest in it. We know that it's our responsibility, and the people around us are not just people that we're hoping, but we're working to see them come to know Jesus. We're investing in their life. Then we begin to see what it means to be in the fourth chair. This is the vision God has for your life. It's the call that he has on your life. It is not just the pastors. It's not just the missionaries, okay? It's not just the people that we look at, oh, yeah, I understand. Yeah, they're in the fourth chair. That's their calling. Listen, if that's what you think, you're wrong. This call is to all who follow Jesus, to move into this chair and to engage his work at this level. It is God's vision for you. It's his plan for you. It's his desire for you. He sees you in the fourth chair, building, taking ownership in in the lives of the people around you, investing, planting seeds, farming, working to see them grow and come to Jesus, some of them. There are two goals that I have today. First is to make you aware of God's vision and call on your life. He wants you to move in this direction towards partnership with him to reach the world. Second, it's to spur some of you on to move into this chair. Maybe you've been in the training process for a while. There's no time frame on that. Jesus took three years with his guys, three years to get them ready, right? To train them, to pour into them, to teach them. First, he said, hey, guys, 
here's a, some fish and some loaves. Break them into pieces. Feed this crowd. Right? It just did some work. Hey, guys, go into town and get us some food. You know? And then it moved into, hey, uh, you guys, I'm going to send you out on mission. And they got to go out and, and experience it. Went on a short-term missions trip. Right? They got to experience a little bit of what it means to do the work of God. A little more training. And then as he was leaving the earth, he said, guys, this is on you. <laughs> this is yours. You're going to take ownership of this. And listen, it should not have worked, but it did because it has the power of God behind it. Some of you have been in the training process a while, and it's time. It can be a little scary, uncertain. How's this going to work? But remember, what's behind it is commitment and ownership. And it's moving into a place where you take responsibility for the people around you. And you begin to know, hey, listen, it's, it's my job to be a spiritual farmer in this neighborhood. It's my job to be a spiritual farmer in this workplace. And I've got to begin to work at this. And I, I'm going to start to be intentional. I'm going to start to plant some seeds, have some conversations, sprinkle in some salt and some light, right? And I'm going to start to do this. I'm going to see what God does. Uh, some of our elders are moving this direction. And I'm going to have, uh, we're going to share uh, some stories with you over the next few weeks probably, um, just so you can, you can get a little picture, an idea of what's happening in our church. But God's moving in this, in this area. Uh, we're beginning to, gr- to grab a hold of this and go, yeah, th- this is why we're here. This is the purpose. This is the plan God has for us. And so remember this. Don't look at this. Um, or, or excuse me, moving into chair four, if you're in chair three and you've been in the training process a while, I don't want you to so- short circuit that. But, but sometimes we look for the feeling of, hey, I'm ready. I've completed my training. This is a little bit like when you decide to have a family. And, uh, and I talk to young people all the time, they're waiting until everything is perfect. And I'm like, you'll never, you'll never do it if you wait until everything's perfect. There's always going to be something wrong. It, it, things aren't all going to line up. And so sometimes there comes a point you go, hey, listen, we're going to jump in and do this. And, and this is a little bit that way. There's, there's just a time to move in this direction. And you know if God's calling you to take that step. It's not light. It's not a light move. It's a lot of responsibility. And in the same way you have all the power and authority of heaven and earth behind you, you will have all the power and authority of the enemy come against you and try to stop you from doing this work and from being effective. He'll come at you. It's true. But you keep your eyes on Jesus and you stay focused on him, and you continue to take the steps that you learned in your training, and somehow it works, and God empowers us, and he protects us, and he gives us the ability to do far beyond what we could ever do on our own. The harvest is out there. I'm praying that you'll join the harvest crew, that you'll move into this place, that you'll gain this vision of these four calls that God has for each one of your lives. And you'll begin to say, I got to move. I got to, I got to get moving. Where am I at? What's the next step? Okay. I need a little more training. Great. I need to get involved in ministry and start to learn how to do that. Great. I need to become a follower and just start to, uh, to be trained in righteousness and to be taught what Jesus commands are and start to obey him. Great. But God's calling you. It's why we exist as a church. It's why we're here. Right? That's why the church of Jesus is here. To help you, to help me move and grow and to grab a hold of this and ultimately to become partners in the work of God. God, thank you so much for what you're doing here. Thank you for each person here, each person listening online at home. 
uh, or wherever they may be. Father, I just pray that you would embed your vision, your heart for each one of us deep inside of us. Help us to grasp it and see it. There's so many obstacles and so many, so much of the time we talk ourselves out of it and we, we just don't believe. We don't have faith to believe what you believe about us. And so I just pray that we would have the ability, the faith to grasp what it is you're calling us to, what it is you want us to do, what it is you believe we can do in and through you and with your authority and with your training. And God, I pray that you would grow us, continue to grow us so that we will become more like you. I pray this in Jesus' name.